Buenos días. Very nice. The last two Sundays, the topics have been grace to persevere and grace to love. And so the pastor decided to have me speak when the topic is the grace to suffer. Isn't that great? <laughs> so we're going to pray, and then we'll get into the topic. Father, we thank you so much. We can be in this place. Uh, a lot of us come here already suffering. Suffering from the economy, suffering from relatives, suffering from within the family, suffering from people that don't understand us. A lot of us read the news, we read about conflicts in different parts of the world. We suffer. We suffer for injustice, and sometimes we ourselves are the ones who are causing the suffering. But Lord, this morning we come around the throne saying, Lord, we just come as we are. We come to ask for your forgiveness in the cases when we have been the cause of suffering for others, when we have been the ones causing the injustice. There are a lot of times, Lord, and probably in most cases, at least for us who have been walking with you for a few years, and we try to not behave in that way. Many times, Lord, it is us who are the object of scorn and of abuse. And our desire to identify with your son, we simply take it and we move on. Isn't that what a Christian is supposed to do? as we come to this passage in Philippians, as we consider the example of the Apostle Paul, a man of great suffering, we ask, Lord, that you will guide us. We pray for our pastors. We pray that you will bless them. You will open their ears and their eyes and their brains to understand what they're being exposed to. And they will come to us renewed, new people, more in love with you, more in tune with your frequency talking more the language that we need to hear right here in Spokane. Lord, I understand Paul wrote to a church in Philippia, Philippi, small town, still a city in today's Greece. But we're here. We pray, Lord, that they will come to us, be relevant to us where we are in Spokane, Washington. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. I have a few things that I'll be talking about as we go on. These are just illustrations for the sermon. And we'll see how it goes. But first, we're going to read the passage. Okay? I'll be showing a bunch of slides, so you'll, you'll have to be also facing the back. I mean, looking at the screen. That's good. You saw it. So let's start by reading that. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what had happened to him was that he was in chains. Okay? That is what happened to him. That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Sounds funny. And you end up in prison, but it has served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout, let me go back, Throughout the whole imperial guard, the imperial guard are the Roman soldiers 
basically what he's saying is those who are holding me here in chains, they know, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, I'm out, that doesn't work that way. When someone gets suffering for something, you, throw, you try to avoid the pain. Okay? So this is kind of funny. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Many of us have prayed for that place many times over years. And the dream was becoming a reality. It was a boy's dream. It was a man's dream. It was a revolutionary's dream. It was a Christian's dream. It was a nation's dream. It was full of action, you know, the kind of action you want to see once you start, when you click and the movie starts and you see a car chasing and all that stuff, except that this was real life. I mean, there were, there were, there were people dying. There were people suffering. There were tanks going up in flames. There were bombs going off. There were car bombs. There was a huge army being mobilized. There was a dictator being fought. There was a lot of rumors. The United Nations were discussing this case. Thousands of people being tortured. Thousands of people asking for the U.S. to intervene, for the United Nations to do something. The sons of the dictator was two guys. They were going to parties with their cronies, just looking for girls, and then they will kidnap the girls, sleep with them, and send them back home, and they will take them for sport. Their soccer team, when they lost a game, were sent to be tortured because that was shameful to the country. Different people that spoke with funny accents and belonged to a different ethnic people group were being massacred. Some of them were being gassed. Chemical weapons, biological weapons, experiments with humans, women being raped, villages being completely eliminated. All of that was happening. All of a sudden, the dream was becoming true. The dictator was being removed. Finally, a powerful army had moved in, and... and, and and things began happening. I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was good. I mean, it was painful. I want you to understand that. There were soldiers going in. The U.S. Army was being mobilized. Collateral damage was happening. Innocent civilians were dying. Families were being destroyed. Because in the process of liberation, they needed to suffer more. But images of the dictator were being burned, 
buildings were being bombed, and the guy was being removed from power. Christians thought that God had answered their prayers because for years they've been praying for these guys, this guy to be removed, and no one had ever heard their cry. In the U.S., a little bit removed from that scene, most people were cheering because Americans love winners, you know. And we were winning. It was painful. It was brutal. Our leaders were assuring us that we were doing something that was good. The cynics were saying that we were doing it all for oil. But the point was that we were winning. And we all love that. You know, you watch the game and you want your team to win. You want people who take risks. You don't like people who play safe. And in this case, even the soldiers, knowing that in a conventional war we're going to win, they knew that there was the possibility of weapons of mass destruction. I was there. And people were still, you know, hanging with a mask just in case. That we were winning. The pain was being suffered by everyone, not just by the people of Iraq, not even in the process of, of liberation, but also by American soldiers and American families. And some of you may know a few of those who were getting that beautifully wrapped flag and a pension of sorts. Soldiers were winning. It was a soldier's dream, you know. You're being welcomed as a liberator, not as an invader. People were kissing the troops in the streets. They were stopping. The troops were stopping in, in midway, just having chicken with the, with the, with the, with the local people. And, and, uh, and, and it, was, it was great. I mean, you, you will not believe it. People were just giving kisses to the troops, feeding them, giving them water. It was an amazing thing. People were dancing in the streets as the uh, statues of Saddam Hussein were being pulled down. And you might remember seeing that in the, in, the, in, the, in the television, right? Do you remember that? People were willing to suffer so that their country could be liberated. Soldiers were willing to suffer so that a nation could enjoy justice. Families were willing to lose one more relative so that their country could enjoy freedom. Remember taking this picture on the road from Baghdad to the north, and, and everyone was happy. I mean, it, it, it was great. In this particular time, I remember traveling with one of the Iraqi pastors, Yusuf, I'll show him later, and, and, uh, and everyone in Iraq has weapons, you know. I mean, that's just the way it is. AK-47s, you know, M-16s, and all kinds of stuff, stuff like that. And Yusef had a, a, a submachine gun, an American one, it was a good one, uh, in the back under the mat in the, in, the, in the car. I was in the front, Yusef was driving, we had two guys in the back, and, and the machine gun right there. And the American troops, these two guys that I never saw again in my life, they began searching the car. And of course, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, nobody knows. And they found the machine gun. And they just smiled and they said, is this yours? 
I said, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm a tourist, you know. <laughs> I'm just here, just for the fun of it. I'm just taking pictures. And the guy said, so is, is he? Yes, you know. Well, he's a... And then you had to explain he's, a, he's, he's an evangelical pastor, you know, who believes in God, God can protect, but also has a machine gun. So it was... It was <laughs> But they just said, oh, that's okay, you know. And, and so, so they pulled back and said, hey, do you mind if I take your picture? And that, that's a picture. So they wrote in Baghdad. It, it, it was fun. It was fun getting into the, the side uh, roads, you know, not from the main road, which is not really a big road, but, you know, it's a road. It's paved. And, and then getting into uh, carcasses of tanks, you know, pieces of... Uh, Armored personal carrier vehicles of all kinds of top, uh, fashions and shapes and so on, and halfway destroyed and so on, and then collecting American bullets, you know. And, and you wonder, how did you get that through the airport? Well, uh, don't tell SAT, but they're not so safe, you know. And, and, and so you get this, and, and, and you take it, and, and, and there's a minefield, you know, and science and all of that. But it's a boy's dream, right? We like adventure. And so you, you get into that stuff, and then you get another one that has Arabic script, and you go, man, I want one of each, you know. And so I take him, and, and, it's, and it's kind of fun to, to now have him and say, I remember where I got this, you know. It's, it's just, it's, it's just it's, it's exciting. And then to see this collateral blessing of, of troops being baptized. I mean, these guys were, were digging in the desert, making swimming pools, and then because they have seen death so close by to them, I mean, they have seen their, their, their own uh, platoon members being killed, being severed, you know, being rendered invalid. And, and, and they have seen the children of Iraq being killed in the villages and so on. And they just want to come close to God. And, and the troops, this collateral blessing of, of the troops uh, being baptized and, and giving their life to Jesus and across from the street, and that center square in Baghdad, uh, meeting with pastors, that is the Christian's dream. You know, meeting with the pastors who have been praying for the liberation of their country and now be discussing plans on how you're going to take the gospel to the villages that in the past it was impossible because Saddam will not allow it. And there's a new spirit, a new uh, desire, a new openness, a new... Uh, Spirit throughout the country of openness and desire to know what is good and so on. And so there we are. You know, that's in the Sheraton Hotel in the main square in, 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 in Baghdad. The hotel was later bombed, but that happened afterwards. So there we are discussing that. Hey, what a dream, you know. Local people, they're not rice Christians. You know, they are not higher hands. They had their own dreams for their own people. And they're willing to sacrifice. You know, Yusuf, you know this guy? He's here. He was here a month ago. He's still in Iraq. And I'll talk to him, uh, about him a little more. This is another pastor friend, Haytham, guy here. The pastor in the church in Kirkuk. I don't know if you've heard about the name Kirkuk. But it's, it's a place that is kind of in the border between the north of Iraq and the south of Iraq and Turkey because it's a bunch of Turkmen 
in that place. So you have Turkey, north of Iraq, the Kurds, and Baghdad, all fighting for the city. Not because the city is a pretty city. It's actually very filthy. But because it's sitting on one of the largest oil deposits in the country. And everyone wants to claim it as their own city so that they can get the oil. But Haytham, in that same road to Baghdad, uh, early a year and a half after I took this picture, when the situation was not so good anymore, he was driving back north, and he was stopped along the way, and, and he was asked to, to get out of the car, face down, took his car, and they didn't kill him, but they told him they were going to kill him. So I called him after that. I said, hey, how are you doing, brother? I said, it's okay, Carlos. I'm, I'm doing okay. Now, Haytham is a Presbyterian pastor. The Presbyterian church is a very powerful church. Very wealthy people go to the Presbyterian churches. I don't know if you know that. A bunch of doctors, lawyers, people like that. So Haytham has been offered repeatedly that he can just go out of the country. And he will become a hero. You know, he will come to America. It's going to be a show and tell of the pastor from Kirkuk that withstood persecution and, 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 and was firm. And in the middle of all this war and in the middle of all these bombs, you know, he's still there preaching the gospel. Wouldn't that be great? Would you imagine having Haytham right here and giving you his testimony? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? He could make a living. I'm sure someone, one of those healthy doctors, you know, He's going to give him a, a big house nearby the lake someplace in America. And Haytham can just enjoy peace and take his kids to a good Presbyterian school with full scholarship. But Haytham somehow is willing to stay in Iraq and suffer so that the gospel can advance. So soldiers suffer. Common people suffer. Pastors suffer for something. It was also a dream for me because I'm in the middle of all of that and it was like the dream was continuing. I remember the first time when I went back right after Saddam Hussein fell and all these guards, I mean these guys, you know, some of you in the military know what that is. And this, and this, and this. And everyone behind me and in front of me has weapons. And the reason is and then there's this guy, I mean, it's like an action movie. This guy in a car, in a truck with a machine gun on top of it, like the one you see in Libya right now, stopping traffic because the Christians are having a meeting. And we're meeting in a, in a, in a, in a church building for the first time in freedom. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the Christians finally being able to meet? To sing to the top of your lung, to stand, to sit, to bow down, to do whatever you want in freedom, worshiping God. Isn't that great? And the idea was we were going to be discussing ways on how we were going to, together, going to take the gospel to the rest of the country. I'm looking at a friend who is trying to help us how to avoid being kidnapped and so on in the back. I'm going, I'm sorry, this is what I do. It was a nation's dream of freedom in which chains are being broken. And so during that meeting, I still remember we were singing 
you know, very lively songs. Some people were dancing. I mean, this is the Middle East. People dance. People shout. People, you go, da, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. And then one of them comes and says, you know, we, we, we wanted to say thank you somehow. We, we just don't know how to do that. And we thought about giving you something. And so one of the most insignificant pieces of things, I guess, is a chain. And they gave us this chain. I mean, it's nothing. You can buy a better one at Home Depot, I guess. But you know, this thing is pregnant with meaning for me. They came, they came singing, singing one of those songs that they sing, going like this, you know, as they do with their handkerchief in the Middle East and dancing and moving and so on. And then they said, this is a sign of our freedom and we want you to have it. So this is one of the most precious gifts I've ever been given in my life. You know, a piece of ordinary chain. But that's what happened. Now, this man here is Yusuf. This man has been shot at repeatedly. He's lost two homes, several cars. The place where we established the first radio station in northern Iraq was a place that when I came, still had the blood all over the walls because it had been the place of a massacre. And... and um, the government did not want to teach it because Muslims are very superstitious people. And so the Christian goes, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know, cleans the whole place and so on, and of demons and all this stuff. And as for the, for the building, for the government, the government is happy to give it to this crazy, stupid person that doesn't know that. You know, there's a massacre at that place. Of course he knew. He just didn't have the time to clean up the walls by the time we arrived. But that's how we began. Yusuf had this dream of schools and radio stations and printing presses and women's centers and all of that, and we did all of that. But his latest dream is not another high school, of which we already have three with 2,000 students, totally self-sustaining, but, but, but a Christian school. And if you want to check it out, you want to see my picture, you just go to maustrategygroup.com. It's a meets American University. And it is a fascinating project. And, 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 you, and you'll see it right now. This is the potential building facility for the Meads American University in the capital city of Erbil, northern Iraq. The ones behind this, and I had no time to show you, are basically the presidents of all the Christian colleges in America. I mean, you mentioned a Christian college. That person is probably involved in this project. The vice president of the CCCU, the Coalition of Christian Colleges and Universities, Jim Manoia, is flying, as we speak, to northern Iraq to discuss all these plans with the Minister of Higher Education and Scientific Research in the city of Erbil, north Iraq, in hopes that this project will be approved and thousands of students in Iraq, university students, the future leaders of the nation, will be educated by Christians in a Christian university with full support of the Iraqi government. You understand that? It's not only that, but these guys believe so much in what Yusuf is doing that the deputy 
of the ministry of religion, the guy in charge of all the mosques and all the synagogues and all the Christian worship places and all the stuff was here a month ago. The pastor of the largest mosque in the capital was here. A supreme judge from the Supreme Court of Iraq was here. And of course, there's Yusuf and myself working in downtown Spokane. They came here to see if everything that we were saying was really true. And they went back saying, you have our full support for the university. Do you imagine that? Spokane, Washington? I mean, what are they doing in Spokane, Washington? It's amazing, right? That's Iraq. So the ministry continues funding the Holy Book Bible bookstores in the open, in the city, outreach to women, and so on. All because one man was willing to suffer. And you could say, wait, 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 back, back, back. All because our army invaded Iraq and made that possible. Anywhere you want to put it. It was all because people with different motivations were willing to suffer and pay the price. Move fast now to the cradle of Christianity. What some others call the cemetery of the church. Come to Turkey. A month ago, month and a half ago, I was in Turkey. This man right there is from Spain. Carlos Madrigal. And as we were walking in downtown Istanbul, Turkey, where he uh, lives, remember walking with his son, and we stopped in front of a building, and then he said, oh, that's the building where my dad was put in prison. Uh, probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, something like that. And of course, I remember that building because about two blocks away from that building, a little far up, and on the left, is the, the, the immigration offices within the headquarters of the Istanbul police. And then there is a section for foreigners, and it was in that place where I was also was in prison. I left. I'm in Spokane now. Carlos is still in Turkey. And so he leads activities in the street in which people go out in the largest unrich nation in the world. That's how you know, Christians know this place. And they go out into the streets to do surveys and, and, to, and, to, and to be interviewing people. And then churches come out. And it's an amazing thing. You know, Carlos was so happy when a Bible school was open in the city of Ephesus. And properly they labeled that Bible school the school of Tyrannus. Because in the book of Acts, you remember there was a school in Ephesus that was called the school of Tyrannus, right? So they named it the school of Tyrannus. And all these Turks who are coming to faith in Christ are now studying at the school of Tyrannus. That sounds great. So when this guy finally graduates from, from the school of Tyrannus, give me the next slide, and, and one day he actually goes in public, not to preach the gospel, but to denounce the church, to say that he has now come back to the proper faith of Islam, and that he knows all these plots of all these missionaries, that they're actually trying to overtake the country. 
and that these Christians are just agents from, from the West trying to undermine the Republic of Turkey. You imagine how they all felt? You imagine this guy, Hans, who is expelled from the country, accused of being a missionary and a terrorist? I mean, a traitor. Simple. Newspapers come out with, with stories in which they say hard warnings to the church. And then Molotov cocktails are being thrown at church buildings. And yet, a year later, a new church is established. Soon after that, the same guy shows up in the paper, and he happens to be working with foreign missionaries, a former Turkish priest who had been working with foreign missionaries and then converted to Islam, was actually an intelligence officer with the Turkish land forces. He was a paid agent to infiltrate the Christians, to then denounce them in public, but the media discover him. And can you imagine how the church feels about that? I mean, would you be disappointed as a missionary if you were to be working in that place and you were undergoing situations like that? So what is the church in Turkey doing? The church in Turkey presses on. So let me show you something they're doing now. That's the Istanbul Protestant Church Foundation, the same church that the, the Carlos is, is, is pastoring. This is this month. It's actually these weeks. So just scroll it down. The biblical basis for why is Troas important? You know, the New Testament, Paul landed in Troas. That's where he saw the Macedonian man. Do you remember all of that? Okay, this is the same place where the church now wants to see a retreat center built for the enjoyment and a camp where all the churches in Turkey can actually come and have their meetings and and. And, and, and then from there, to go and do more church planting, close to the seven churches in Asia Minor, churches of Revelation, and all of that. The sacrificial investment of our Turkish believers and how much the Turkish church is actually sacrificing, putting money to buy these properties and to, and to have these dreams so that their country can be rich with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, partners is involved in that. I'm involved in that. We help them buy the property, and now they're coming up with the architectural renderings for the retreat center and, and what's going to happen. And that just go a little faster. And, and, and the, the, when you come to the 11,000, I want you to stop. So the, the, the history of the place, and an amazing thing happens this week. You see, I got this on Tuesday, okay? this past Tuesday. On Thursday, I get something from a guy I have never met in my life talking about a church in Canada that I had never visited. And this church in Canada sends a check to this guy telling him we want to support the work in Turkey. And this guy says, we don't have any work in Turkey. I don't know what you're talking about. But somehow they know that I'm involved with Turkey, and so they send the name to me. And by Thursday, what the church in Turkey is saying they lack 
to get the architectural renderings, you know, the architectural permits, to go to the municipality, present the plans and so on. Exactly what they're lacking. This guy or this person or this organization, I'll find out. Hopefully the check will come this week, so I'll see where they come from. This week sends 10,000 Canadian, which by now is more than our dollar because the Canadians are doing better than we're doing. But that's just the way it happens right there, 11,664. I can show you the, the, the email, the Canadians 10,000 turned out to be 10,032 US dollars. So we're short a little bit, but that's okay. So what is happening? How do you, how do you explain Iraq and Turkey? Some of you, let's move to the next slide are probably related to a place called Vietnam. So I decided to throw in a freebie for you. Okay. And just read with me. In Group G, for security reasons, we don't name them. We get Group A, Group B, Group C, and so on. This is Group G. In Group G, there are 100 full-time paid workers, 400 volunteer workers, who are working among more than 16 minority peoples. Their job to do our church planters, on-the-ground church leaders, evangelists, trainers. During the first six months of 2011, we have shared the gospel with 29,869 people, 1,633 people willing to receive Jesus as their Savior, 1,328 new believers attended baptism classes, 758 of them received baptisms. That's six months, 2011. All done by Vietnamese. And you go, and so how do they do that? Well, you have to read the 14 pages of reports, but I'm going to save you that. And saying, after suffering a lot of difficulties from their communities and local government, and it goes on like that, even though such bad circumstances like that, the new believers still remain unchanged in their faith to the Lord. And the report goes on, village cell, village cell, village cell, churches, baptisms, and so on. So how do, you, how, do you, how do you make sense of all of this? Well, as Christians, we make sense of it by first looking at Jesus, right? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses in Turkey and in Iraq and in Vietnam and throughout the ages, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Consider him. Next. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. But that is hard. What do you mean shedding blood? Are you talking to me in Spokane, Washington? I mean, I, I, I get impatient when the slides don't run on time. You know, what are you talking about shedding blood? But that's what Jesus says to us, you want to know what it takes to advance the gospel? Consider Jesus. 
and we already read it. But our passage is not about Jesus. It's in the book of Philippians. So when we look at Paul, what does he have to say? This is what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, I am in chains and I am in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I am suffering not because I want to liberate a nation. I am suffering not because I am just crying for justice. I am suffering, and everyone knows it, because I've been preaching Christ. And because I have not been shutting down on that, the rest of the church are actually becoming more confident. They are becoming more confident in the Lord, and they continue speaking more boldly, without fear. I have to tell you some indeed preach Christ for envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. Let it do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel and the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in prison. Tell you what, this is the point. In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed. And in that, I will rejoice. You get the passage? You know, suffering, pointless pain is unbearable. But why do you go to the dentist? To suffer? No. Because you know that if you don't go, you will suffer even more later. Why do you undergo surgery? Why do you have a hip replaced? Why do you get up early in the morning? Why do you pay for your kids' education? Because you know that ignorance is more expensive. Why do you suffer? Because you have an objective. We humans know how to suffer for good goals. Soldiers do it out of duty. Nations invest to liberate other peoples. We do that. But why would you do it for the sake of Christ? Why would you do it for the sake of Christ? Is it worth it? I mean, isn't the Christian life supposed to be that I am heaven-bound and I am okay and now I am free and now I'm supposed to be happy? And if God is looking to me with favor, I'm supposed to be blessed, which means my car doesn't break. And at the end of the month, I have all the money to make the payments and I am better looking. Right? Isn't that what the Christian life is all about? You know, because we try to rationalize all of this, throughout history, armies have been tried to advance the gospel. That was really bad. Religion has been nationalized so that the government 
advances the gospel. Revolutions have begun because of that. People cross oceans because they were being persecuted. They were trying to stay away from state religion. What about if we just outsource it? You know? Just give the money to a missionary, one of those guys, and let him do it. But me suffer? I'll suffer when I write the check. But me suffer to advance the cause of Christ? Come on, Carlos, be real. I mean, this is America, man. America. You know what I mean? America. You know, A-M. I mean, America. We don't suffer as Christians here. We just enjoy it. We open the faucet, water comes out. Hot, cold, hey, you want ice? I mean, this is, this is, this is that simple. This is not the place to suffer. Why are you talking about suffering to advance the gospel? Using armies is a bad idea. Paying taxes so that the government does it is a bad idea. Outsourcing it to missionaries is not such a bad idea. But even if we were to do that, who are the missionaries to Spokane and to your workplace? Who is the one willing to suffer in your high school and at the university where you study? Who is the one willing to, 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 to pay the price? Not the price of redemption. The price of redemption, redemption has already been paid. Jesus paid it on the cross. There's nothing you can do about that. There's nothing I can do about that. There's not an amount of money. There's not a check large enough to add to that sacrifice. It's already done. But to advance that already paid for message, you and I, we have to suffer. And according to Paul, it's not just plain suffering. It's rejoicing. You go, man, that is even worse. <laughs> Give me a break. I mean, I, 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 I can endure it, but rejoice? Rejoice? That's why I like the topic of the sermon today. Grace to suffer. Because your best intentions as a human for justice, for equality, for dignity, for education, for health, simply is not good enough to advance the gospel. We Christians are the only ones who can advance the true message of liberation. But if we're not willing to pay the price, guess what? No one else will. And for us to do that, we must suffer. And for us to suffer and rejoice in it, we need God's grace. So may the Lord give us the grace and the clear thinking that while others suffer and are willing to pay the price for less worthy causes, for us as Christians has been given this ministry of reconciliation and that we're the only ones who can do it if we're willing to pay the price.